I'm Iris First, and welcome to my podcast, Really Is That The Way You See Me? This podcast focuses on opening up the blind spots in your relationships, never forgetting the most important one, which is the relationship that you have with yourself. The opening of these blind spots is proportionate to your willingness to view the world from a different lens, and from that lens, then seeing what is possible. Satisfying and fulfilling relationships are available to you without changing anyone else, but rather opening up your perspective. I love this quote by the Buddha, when all is understood, all is forgiven. So let's begin to uncover some of the things that are hidden from our view. Welcome to episode one of Really Is That The Way You See Me? Today's episode is called The Ego and the Mischief It Causes in Relationships, which will be divided into two episodes. In this episode, I will be speaking directly to you and sharing some basic information to set the foundation for a journey of self-discovery. My intention always is to share information and present questions that allow the listener to do a deep dive into what makes them tick. Also, to give you tools that are useful and practices for you to make your own. Today, I will be introducing concepts, teachings, and systems that may be familiar to some of you and new to others. I'm going to request that when you listen to each episode and its content, that you listen from being open to hearing something new, or even if it's not new, in a new way. In Buddhism, it's said that if your cup is full, then nothing new can enter. So now is a good time to start emptying your cup, and let's see if we could fill your cups with something worthwhile. This episode focuses on the notorious ego and the many ways in which it unconsciously impacts our relationships. If you are struggling or have ever struggled like most in the area of relationships, you probably have read many books, tried therapy or coaching, or even listened to podcasts. Searching for answers and clarity to the question of what makes relationships so difficult, and more importantly, how to sustain healthy and satisfying relationships. I want to be clear that it does not matter the nature of the relationship, whether it's romantic, familial, friendship, or otherwise. The basic foundation and pitfalls are the same. There is usually some kind of inflammation or disturbance of the ego and its wounding. Most of us have tried many things in the past, and unfortunately, they have not worked. Or they may have provided a momentary or short-lived glimpse of hope, but they didn't stick, only leading to further disappointment, frustration, and resignation. Understanding the ego will start unpacking the underlying causes that will answer the following questions. Why are some relationships so difficult? Why is it so difficult to be understood by others? Is it that people don't care enough to understand you or could it be something else? To delve into these questions, I have chosen to start from the beginning, which is with the ego. So now we're gonna define what exactly is the ego? The ego is a part of the human psyche, which develops at a very young age, and it unconsciously helps us figure out ways to get our needs met and feel safe within our families and the world at large. You may have heard the quote unquote ego as referred to the identity, the personality, the self-image, the mind, the pain body, and the shadow. First of all, I wanna establish one thing. We all have an ego. 
And if we didn't, we wouldn't be able to survive in this world. So the question is not if we have an ego, but rather how aware we are of the ego and our commitment and willingness to understand its proper function. We also need to be able to distinguish when it's malfunctioning during an upset without any self-criticism or judgment. Now I would like to share with you a few brief descriptions of the ego from a few psychological paradigms. According to Freud, who actually coined the term the ego, he said that it develops at a very young age to mediate between the unrealistic id, which is the part of our psyche that controls our impulses, drives, and desires, and the external real world. It is the decision-making component of the personality. Ideally, the ego works by reason, whereas the it is chaotic and unreasonable. According to Eric Erickson, who was the founder of psychodynamic theory, he believed that the ego's main job was to establish and maintain a sense of identity, creating an experience of being comfortable in one's own skin. He also believed that those who had more fragile egos can get stuck in their identity crisis. Although he didn't see the identity crisis as a negative thing, but rather as serving as a driving force towards a positive resolution. Or more plainly said, the identity crisis serves a person to discover who they really are. Working on one's ego allows for growth and development as an individual and balancing your sense of uniqueness while also maintaining a sense of belonging. But unfortunately, due to the lack of full understanding of the ego, as with many other things in this world, the ego has been given a bum rap. An example of this is when someone judges or shames another by calling them egotistical. Or in the spiritual realm, some of you may have heard that the ego must die to achieve enlightenment, which I personally do not believe to be true, or at least it is taken out of context. It is not that the ego must die, nor is it even possible to kill it, but rather increasing your awareness of its existence, which allows something more conscious within us to make more integrated decisions and guide our actions. Another trap regarding the ego is that most people can readily see another's ego in action and yet not as readily be aware of their own. Now, I wanna take a look at nature versus nurture, or another way to say it is what you're born with versus your environment and experiences. So how does the theory of nature versus nurture impact the ego? Well, it's widely agreed upon in the world of psychology that if a person had a relatively healthy environment during their formative years, that they would have a healthier ego or a greater sense of themselves. I certainly agree that nurture and environment impacts one's sense of self. And yet I see this more as a continuum as opposed to a black and white healthy versus unhealthy scale. If you notice, human beings are not so black and white in their design. They can demonstrate confidence in one area of their life and self-doubt in another. Regarding the nurture component, even if we had the most loving parents with the best of intentions, they were still human and had their own unconscious egoic stuff to work through. And as we all know, 
when people, including parents, are under stress, they don't necessarily display their optimal self, which in turn does have an impact on their children and their egoic development and sense of self. I must say, what saved me from beating the crap out of myself when I was first introduced to this theory, and I was a young parent at the time, was a very wise professor that I had during my undergraduate studies. According to this developmental psych professor, he said that the research has shown, and also the good news is, that it is not necessary to have had or to be the perfect parent. Just being good enough works, and it suffices to have a happy and functional life. Okay, now here is where I differ from some of my colleagues. I believe that nature plays a huge part in the uniqueness of each individual ego. So therefore each ego is not so generic. I also wanna make clear at this time, I am not focusing on the genetic component to the developments of one's psyche. To explain this further, over the past few decades in my studies, research and experience, I have found that each individual comes into this world with a unique operating systems that is accompanied with its own default defenses and strategies. I call this your individual personality blueprinting. This individual blueprinting is innate, meaning you're born with it, and explains why different children brought up in the same household and under the same circumstances have very different personalities and ways that they navigate through their family system, even with identical twins. In future episodes, I'll be sharing more about individual personality blueprinting. But in the meantime, if you wanna know more about this topic, you could read about individual personality blueprinting on my website at relations-coach.com. That is R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S with an S hyphen or dash, coach.com. In short, individual personality blueprinting is a compilation of different personality systems that I use when working with each client. This blueprinting explains the unique design of one's automatic operating system. This innate programming motivates our egos to behavior in a particular and unique way. An example of this is that you may witness two people who are angry and are dem demonstrating similar behavior, but what triggered the anger is different based on their unique operating system. From the outside, they both display anger because their egos were irritated, but one of them could be angry because they did not feel understood while the other was angry because they felt underestimated. I have found that there is no one size fits all in any personality typing system. Therefore, I use an array of systems such as the Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, also known as MBTI, and the Reikian character structures, to name a few. Each system that I use offers a different aspect of the totality of that person. Okay, so now let's get back to how this impacts your relationships. So how and why does the ego start causing mischief and suffering? As I mentioned earlier, the ego's function was designed to be rational, to help keep us safe and navigate through daily life. So then what makes this function go amok? 
and you find yourself or others being reactive or literally crazed. In order to address or at least touch upon this question, I will have to bring in a bit more psychological terminology. Sorry, but here it goes. The term is the narcissistic wounding of the ego, which is also known as the pain body or the shadow. Some of you may be familiar with the term pain body from Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. And for those of you who have studied basic psychology, you may be familiar with the term the shadow. To define this phrase in its entirety is another challenging task. First of all, because the term narcissism has been labeled as a mental disorder, and therefore just hearing this word brings up negative connotations and shame for many. In my opinion, it is a very misunderstood word, just like the term the ego. It has been misused to judge and shame people by calling them a narcissist, which is kind of crazy if you think about it, because we all have a self. So what I'm asserting here is just like with the ego, we all have a certain level of narcissism. One definition that I came across for narcissism is self-centeredness arising from failure to distinguish the self from external objects either in very young babies or as a feature of a mental illness. And now we all know that the term self-centeredness generally is related to as a negative character flaw. Now, why does this reactivity occur in the first place? The short answer is that most of us were not taught how to self-soothe and deal with the feelings of frustration, sadness, disappointment, and the deferment of instant gratification. We want what we want and we want it now. An example of this is when my son was just about two years old and he said he wanted juice. And as I was pouring the juice into a sippy cup, he started having a tantrum because it wasn't happening fast enough. The deferment of instant gratification is a learned and practiced skill, which comes from a part of the brain, the part that can self-regulate as opposed to the part of the brain that is stimulated during a tantrum. Think about it. What happens when someone does not give you what you need immediately? How do you react? It could be something so simple as a delayed response to a text. Can you relate to the struggle of the toddler in that moment? Many of us have been taught by our primary caretakers about what they believe to be the appropriate behavior and responses to these feelings. And yet it is still not the same as knowing how to self-soothe in the moment of having an emotional flare-up. In addition, we have different expectations from an adult than we do of a child, which I will also address in upcoming episodes when we discuss the toddler brain versus the adult brain in relationships. Just an aside, the narcissistic wounding, which is connected to our egos, is also impacted by our individual personality blueprinting. Now, let's discuss the basic foundation of relationships. This particular topic is what motivated me to become a relations coach, to make this podcast and write my upcoming book called Really Is That The Way You See Me? I realized long ago that the way we see ourselves can be very different than the ways other perceive and experience us, thus causing friction and suffering in our relationships. I can't tell you how many times people show up in my practice clueless to what has gone wrong in their loving relationships or in conflicts with others at work or in general, 
due to this blind spot. And then it occurred to me to question, what if we were actually able to hear another's point of view, need, or experience without feeling attacked, blamed, or criticized? What would be possible in our relationships if our blind spots were to open? Personally and professionally, I have found in the opening of these blind spots, a new and deeper connection becomes possible with oneself and others. And in addition, I have found that truly fulfilling relationships were only possible when they were built on a foundation of being and staying related to each other. The phrase being related is the willingness to truly consider the other's point of view, even if it's antithetical to your own. This does not mean you must agree with what they are saying, but rather being willing to respect and consider their perspective. In the beginning, this way of being can be really challenging, but like with anything else, practice makes perfect. You can start practicing this by trying to hear at least a piece of truth in what the other is saying, even if you cannot relate to all of it, and just begin with addressing and acknowledging that piece. An example of this might be, after listening to what you said, what I heard from myself is dot, dot, dot. And I understand why you felt that way, because my intonation in the way that I said it was condescending. And I imagine that to make you feel hurt, angry, and sad, and like, I don't care. This is one example of a technique I use in creating relatedness when discussing an upset between two people. It's a modified version of imagotherapy. At this point, some of you may be saying to yourself, wow, this relationship stuff is really a lot of work. Is it really worth it? Well, let's take a look at that. My question to you is, what are you actually seeking from your relationships? When I ask this question, a very common answer is love, connection, affinity, intimacy, and safety, just to name a few. A great mentor of mine once said, that the word intimacy really stands for into me see. And I believe on a core level, we all want to be seen, known, understood, and cared for by the people that are the closest to us. And we also want freedom and safety of being loved for who we truly are. So if what we desire more than anything is connection, then what actually gets in the way or sabotages it? I believe the culprit is misunderstanding, the misunderstanding of the ego, our blind spot, and of others, which is why I decided to begin this episode and podcast series with this very topic. Buddha had said, when all is truly understood, all is forgiven. Before concluding part one of this episode, I'm going to recap a few key points for you to ponder. Until we meet again on next week's episode, which is part two of the ego and the mischief it causes in relationships. I want to apologize if some of you experience this as a cliffhanger, and I know cliffhangers can be somewhat annoying, yet many of us have a love-hate relationship to them. But all kidding aside, the topic of relationships is so huge that I prefer not to overwhelm some listeners and present each episode in digestible bites. So here's the recap of today's show. 
both. We get into trouble in our relationships when our egos and sensitivities, also known as narcissistic wounds, become inflamed. We all have blind spots and it takes courage and willingness to open them. To have happy, healthy, satisfying, and fulfilling relationships, we need to keep returning to the context of being related to another, which means the willingness to consider their point of view, even during an upset. And lastly, all this can be achieved without changing anyone else, just seeing the world from a different lens. If you have any further questions, you can reach me by visiting my website at relations-coach.com. And remember, don't forget the S and don't forget the dash. Or you can email your questions to iris at relations-coach.com. Also, please feel free to take advantage of my complimentary Enneagram personality trifecta test and also the complimentary 15-minute consultation to either briefly discuss your test results or you could use it if you're struggling with any personal or relational issue and see if our working together is a right fit for you. To receive my almost monthly blogs, upcoming workshops and specials, please join my email list, which you will find on my website. And most importantly, I want to take a moment to thank you for creating the time in your day to listening to this podcast. It is my pleasure and honor to be a conduit that can lead to happy, loving, and fulfilling relationships. I look forward to connecting with you and catching you on our next show. Bye for now. 